Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let me play you something that was said on this program a couple of weeks ago by the president of the Canadian Medical Association when Dr. Kathleen Ross was talking about the emergent situation in our Canadian hospital emergency rooms. We have both an inflow into the emergency department challenge and an outflow uh, for admitted patients uh, in the emergency department. And part of that's uh, an inadequate number of beds for the surge we're facing right now. And part of it's not having those alternate levels of care beds, you know, long-term care, rehabilitation. Uh, And then on the inflow side, with patients not having access to primary care, and we know that, you know, one in five Canadians don't have a primary care provider. So that's a little bit of what the president of the Canadian Medical Association told us. And the only reason she came on that program two weeks ago was to talk about the concern Canada's doctors have about the state of emergency rooms. So I read an an op-ed in the National Post a couple of days ago by Julia Malott. And it it really caught my attention. And I was fortunate enough to be able to touch base with Ms. Malott, who's uh, joining us. Uh, She took her 19-year-old daughter to St. Mary's General Hospital, ER, in Kitchener, Ontario, after her daughter was diagnosed with appendicitis, uh, eventually diagnosed with appendicitis and was experiencing terrible pain. What happened over the last or the next 19 hours was very disturbing. So we're going to talk about uh, this and more with Julia Malott, and you can follow her on Twitter at Alotta Malotta. It's very clever. I like that. Julia, thank you for coming on the program. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Tell us, please, about the condition of your daughter when you took her to St. Mary's General Hospital in Kitchener, Ontario. So on Sunday night, my daughter was complaining about a lot of abdominal pain. It had been developing through the day, and by the evening, it was clear that something was abnormal. So we were hesitant to go to the hospital because we know very well the state of healthcare in Ontario. And I warned her, this could be many hours of waiting, but I also trust her. And I asked her if the pain was severe enough, and she said it was. So we went to the hospital, and it was seven or eight hours before we got a diagnosis of presumed appendicitis. But they couldn't confirm that diagnosis because in order to do that, they needed an ultrasound. And apparently, this hospital doesn't do ultrasounds until 8 a.m. in the morning. So we continued to wait. And this is where things started to take a really, really negative turn. Uh, By 5 a.m., we had to give up our bed because somebody else needed the bed in the emergency room. So she had to go out to sit in the, in the waiting room, which, of course, does not feel good when your appendix is swollen. That's no. the pressure in the sitting position. And we eventually got that appointment at, uh, at 9 a.m. We got in. By 10, they told us that this was definitely appendicitis. I later learned when I got the medical records that there was even fluid outside of the appendix. So this was a possible rupture. They couldn't confirm until they went in for surgery. But... We continued to wait uh, because there were no beds available and St. Mary's Hospital cannot do the surgery. So we had to go to Grand River, which is the other hospital in Kitchener-Waterloo. But they had no beds either. So we were waiting and they couldn't give us any advice on when we'd even be transferred. What a nightmare. Oh, it was, it was a real wake-up call. We knew the system was bad, but, and it got worse from there because she also had not eaten or drank because she wasn't allowed to, first for the ultrasound and then because there might be a surgery, but we didn't even know if the surgery would be today. So we had to wait, not feed her, not give her water. 
Um, eventually, after I pushed very hard, we did get the transfer to um, Granada Hospital. But when we got there, after driving ourselves, because of course there's no ambulance to do the transfer for us, we, we arrived with a package in hand that says the surgeon's name and all of the medical stuff they need. They've already arranged the surgery. But we go in and we get done some triage where we sit for an hour and a half more. And at this point, she's off of IV. So she doesn't, she's not getting her antibiotics to save off any further development. She's not getting pain medication, so her pain is flaring up. And it was really, really disappointing to see. So, so during this, I went to Twitter. I am a Twitter influencer, so I do have quite a following there. And I just posted our experience, and it ended up taking off and capturing a lot of attention. Yeah, it, it really did. And when the Ontario Health Minister visited Kitchener, she was very much made aware of what you had posted. And that's very uncomfortable for politicians. I just mentioned the premier. Could have mentioned the health minister too, I suppose. But, uh, you know, you, you said you were there for, what was it, seven or eight hours before they diagnosed the appendicitis? It's, it's one thing to yeah. say that seven or eight hours in a sentence, but to live seven or eight hours in distress as your daughter is experiencing incredible abdominal pain. Anybody who's ever had appendicitis knows what it feels like. It's not a pleasant experience, to say the least. I'm glad everything turned out well, but a burst appendix is a very serious issue, and it could have happened any time. Absolutely. It could have already happened. That's what we learned afterwards, was that the, the ultrasound was inconclusive, whether there had been a rupture. Fortunately, once she had surgery that evening, we confirmed there wasn't. So it was a, a minor surgery in that respect, but we didn't know what we were dealing with. And, and when you mentioned the minister there, we, we tagged her on the original post. It has more than a million views now. So it certainly was on their team's radar as thousands of people were commenting. I also sent an email to her team because when I found out they were coming the next day, I figured she might want to speak with my daughter. Um, and we didn't hear back, but many of the journalists who were at the press conference on Tuesday at St. Mary's with the minister, they raised it. And she did say on record on video that she would love to meet with my daughter to, to really hear her experience. So that was encouraging, but we've sent notes to her team since, and we have received to date no response. Yeah. What about the staff at the hospital? What was your, what was your sense about the staff? So that was something that was really, really troubling for my daughter because she is 17 years old and she is an aspiring nurse. So what she wants to do next year is go to school to be an emergency room nurse. And she has holds these individuals with utmost respect, and they're her heroes. And what she thought was that they can't do their job. They can't help people. They can't give the care that they're expected to give. And that is tragic because that changed everything for her. She, she came out of the hospital and said, why would I want to do that with my time? Why would I want to do that with my life? when there's so many other things she could do. And in a province that is so desperate and so safe for medical professionals, we need to attract people. We need to convince this next generation that that is what they want to do. And I wouldn't blame her. I wouldn't want to enter it either under, under the current conditions. Yeah, the, the healthcare system in this country is under massive stress, increasingly so. It has been for a long time, but it is un, under massive stress. And we are story after story after story about people who go to the ER, or, and six million people in this country have no family doctor. So one of the first places they will go is to an emergency room, and then they sit and they wait, and they sit and they wait, and they sit and they wait, and they worry, and they walk away sometimes without ever seeing anyone because it's so frustrating. 
Um, the frontline staff are doing the best they can, but the actual process of running these places has, has gotten out of control. It's just a, it's a mess. How's your daughter now? She's doing very well. Uh, she's, uh, she's a good, in good spirit with these sorts of things. She's been recovering since Monday. Um, and she actually went to school yesterday for the first day of second semester because she desperately wanted to get to fix her seat in her new classes. So she uh, only has afternoon classes and we, uh, drove her there and back so she could walk minimally, but she's uh, doing really well. I'm glad to hear that. So are our listeners, because you do have an amazing following on Twitter. It's great. It's great that you did that, that you actually posted what was going on because it becomes real time. And then people say, well, I got to follow this. I've got to find out what's going on. And then it stays with us for days. And I'm sure the minister heard from quite a few people. That's probably why you haven't heard from the minister or maybe the premier. Um, Julia, there's another thing that we're going to talk about. So your 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 uh, account on X or Twitter is at Alotta Malotta. And uh, on YouTube, uh, tell us what it is on YouTube, please. I can't read my own writing. Uh, it's the same thing, Alotta Malotta. Okay. As it turns out, not many people have taken that username. Not not many people what? Have taken that username on platforms. Okay. Uh, sometimes, you know, I write something very quickly and then I look at it and I think, who wrote this? Nobody? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing when you can't read your own writing, but it happens to me all the time. A lot of Malata at a lot of Malata. Now, Julia Malat is also a trans person and host of the com site and uh, on Twitter at a lot of Malata, where gender identity and ideology are discussed. Julia, when you uh, when you went through what Alberta Premier Danielle Smith had to say, and she's a fairly regular guest on this program about planned gender identity policy changes, what were your thoughts? Because I, I know, or at least I don't know, but I read that you're not completely opposed to everything, but you're not in love with everything either. Absolutely. I, I really try to take all of these topics with, with nuance and really digest the complexity. That's what I do on my YouTube channel and on Twitter is just really try to take that step back and say, what's going on? What actually works? Because I think so many people get emotionally involved in such a way that they only see one side. They either just see the transgender side or they just see the parent side or they just see the women's side. And all of them matter. Like These are all parts of the equation. This, the way we build good policy is by making sure that we thoughtfully consider how all of those intersections play together. So I was not surprised by parts of what the Alberta policy included. Um, the one part in particular about social transition. So this is going to be names and pronoun changes in schools. We've seen this playing out in Canada and other provinces. We saw it in New Brunswick first last spring, and then we saw it in Saskatchewan just before summer break last year. And basically what this is about is whether or not parents should be either informed or have to consent to these name and pronoun changes in school, or whether a kid, if they were to say, I don't want my parents to know, if the school can do that, kind of behind the parents' back without telling them. And on this one, I take a very, a very strong stance because I really do believe in parental stewardship. I think parents are that ideological guide of their kids. Having one myself, I certainly would be very upset if a school was cutting me out. And a lot of the arguments that we tend to hear about it in terms of protecting the kid from dangerous situations at home I don't believe those hold water because if we suspect a home is dangerous, that's why we have children's aid services and we absolutely should be getting them involved in order to support the family, not ignoring it and saying we're going to do something behind their back. 
You know, I'm, I'm glad you said that because uh, I said something similar on uh, Greg Brady's show on AM640 in Toronto yesterday. That's what children's aid societies are for. And uh, parents seem to have either been nudged, pushed, or shoved out of the way of their kids' lives too frequently in the last 20 years. Uh, but it, but it's, it's, it's policy that really needs a lot of discussing, and I'm sure that's uh, what the premier had in mind. I can't speak for her, but I've known her for a long time. Um, it, it's, it, let me just ask you this. Do you find society today is more welcoming, more inclusive, more understanding of the issue of trans people? It goes, it goes both ways. There's, there's so much going on here. There is more acceptance, there's more inclusivity. Um, and I'm someone who very voluntarily and very publicly puts myself out there. But I do like to be honest on that too, that there is a lot of hate. I was in the news a lot this week because I've been on, uh, I'm on CBC primetime talking about this, uh, this Alberta matter, but I've also been in the news with my daughter. And when you look at some of those articles about my daughter and I, they're not about trans matters at all. They're just about her experience at the hospital and how we can improve Ontario healthcare. And there's a lot of really, really gross comments that get made about me and my appearance. And so I do think we need to acknowledge that we still have a long way to go in those respects. That being said, that doesn't mean that that's all that matters, because sometimes I think in the effort to be accepting and to be inclusive, we end up with policies that just don't, they're just not safe. They don't vet to make sure that this is the right fit for an individual. And especially when it comes to kids, these are big decisions to have surgery or to go on hormones. And while I believe they can be the right decision in some cases, I also believe that we should be very careful, that we should have good vetting, that the family needs to be involved in support. And we have had many cases where those, all of those have been breached. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.